Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am your host, John Robb, joined here by my beautiful co-host, Jeff Bears. Jeff, how are you doing? Doing fantastic. Congratulations on uh, the Dodger moves. Yes, that's right. Now, when you guys hear this, you'll understand what the Dodger moves are, but we'll get into that later because we can't talk sports right now. Um, we're <laughs> very excited that we're going to be talking here with best-selling author Tasha Alexander, of course, our great friend. She's going to be talking to us about her 14th Lady Emily mystery called In the Shadow of Vesuvius. Uh, so we're very excited to get in that with her. want to remind you all, of course, that all of our books are brought, or all of our shows are brought to you by Kensington Books. Visit kensingtonbooks.com. And, of course, Suspense Magazine. Visit suspensemagazine.com for all the information. Subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify and a couple other places, but those are the two biggest, so the, the others really matter. Probably not. Um, so without any further ado... Tasha, how are you doing today? I, I'm great, John. It's always great to talk to you. Yes. And, you know, we say it every time. I can't believe it's book 14 in the Lady Emily series. I mean, it, it's amazing and wonderful and all at the same time that I know that you kind of have to pinch yourself at times and just realize I, that you can't believe you're in this still like this. No, I really can't. I mean, it's just it's beyond what you hope for. You know, you, you, at the beginning when you're starting out, I remember when I was writing my first book, I just desperately hoped it could be a series. But, and I thought, well, gosh, I mean, if I could maybe do like four, that would be amazing. <laughs> but, but, you know, Times just, three. It, 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 you know, I'm humbled by it. I just am so grateful that, that I have wonderful readers who, who, who respond to these books. Yeah. You know, and, of course, we've always thought we love the Victoria setting and, and love that idea because I love mysteries where technology is not the key focus. So, of course, tell us now what you puffs in store for Lady Emily in this time. Well, so this one is, is, is something I'd wanted to write really from the very beginning because I've always been fascinated by the ruins of the Roman city, Pompeii. When I was a little girl... I think I must have been like six or something. There was a National Geographic magazine floating around our house, and it had a, a cover story about Pompeii. And I think everybody has seen those, the photographs of the casts of the people who were killed by the eruption when Mount Vesuvius erupted in, in 79 AD. And basically what happened is you had the ash fell on the city, and people just fell where they were and died. But ash is porous. So there was enough air coming through that the human remains, you know, as they do, disintegrated and dissolved. But they did it more slowly than the ash hardened. So you had these perfect kind of holes in the ground in the shape of the people. And in the 19th century, when after Italy had been unified, they started doing some scientific excavations at Pompeii for the first time. And the archaeologist who was in charge of the site figured out a technique for pouring plaster into these holes. And once you dig that plaster out from the, from the ash, you have a perfect cast of this ancient person as he or she fell at the time of his death. It's really moving and striking, and it just really, an image that just stuck with me forever. So I had really wanted to send Emily there. Um, mm -hmm. But like you were saying, John, about technology, 
you know, I like to do two time periods. And so we have Emily in 1903, but we also have a, a Greek girl who's a slave in Pompeii in 79. And, I mean, the Victorians had a lot of technology compared to the ancient Romans. Right. Well, Interesting. Since you were writing about two different time periods, how did you balance the writing of uh, this book between the you know, two? It's it's a funny thing. It just seems to really work well for my brain. I actually I write it in sequence of the way the reader reads it. I don't go through and write all of the Emily story and then all of the ancient story. I write a chapter of Emily, a chapter of the ancient. And honestly, for this one... Mm-hmm. I had no idea how the two stories were going to come together until I wrote the last chapter of the ancient section. Sometimes you have to trust that your subconscious is going to figure it out. True. So you didn't know ahead of time. Interesting. Yeah, I can't. My brain just doesn't work that way. I cannot plot out ahead of time. I mean, I guess I could, but what the result would be so boring that no uh-huh. one would ever want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> Now, we went, Jen and I went to the Reagan Library, and they had a Pompeii exhibit, so we saw, like, some of the, like, the cast of the, you know, the yeah. actual people that were Ashton. It was, it was a very, very, mo- I mean, because you're sitting there, and you're looking, yeah. and you're like, they're just, I mean, they're, like, petrified in time. Like, mm-hmm. that's how they were exactly when they yeah. were hit. And it is, it is, it's very moving. It really is. And the thing is, those casts, you know, we see Egyptian mummies or we see, you know, like the, the peat bog mummies or yeah. skeletons. But with these casts, you can see their hair. You can see um, if they were wearing a belt. You can sometimes yep. see their shoes. It's really profoundly moving. And I found, I, I went to do research and I was in Pompeii and Herculaneum, which is one of the neighboring cities that was also destroyed by the eruption. I was there for couple weeks Mm -hmm. and I was with my son and two really close friends of ours and I would say that for three the first three days we were so overwhelmed that we could barely talk while we were going through the ruins because you know this isn't you know if you go to the Acropolis in Athens or you, you go to the ruins of a temple or that was like us in Hiroshima yeah but when you have the whole city yeah. And you're you're walking through someone's house. You see the frescoes still painted. There's still furniture some t- in some of them. And then you see the casts of the bodies. It's right. really overwhelming. It really is overwhelming. So besides, of course, being moved with what you saw, I mean, then you had to sit there and say, okay, now I've got to write a mystery about this, and now I've got to try to put a plot and stuff <laughs> right. together. So talk a little bit about, you know, just what your thought process when you first sat down the computer, okay, this is kind of what I'm going to try to achieve in this one. Yeah, well, you know, honestly, the first thing that came to me was that I knew what I wanted the body of the victim to have been turned into. I wanted... The, the body in the quote-unquote contemporary story to have been wrapped in plaster and left in the ruins like it's just alongside some of the ancient casts. Because I thought, what a great way to hide, hide a body, right? 
in plain sight. And the thing with Pompeii is it's such a huge site that there are places where you've got, you know, famous sections where everybody goes and looks at the casts. But sometimes as you're wandering through and getting kind of further afield, you don't even know there's going to be a cast there, and you kind of go through a doorway, and you're like, oh, hi, um, okay. So I thought, what a great, you know, you've murdered somebody. You've got to get rid of the body. Mm-hmm. Cover them with plaster and hide them in the ruins. And so that was really the starting point for it. I actually knew that before I knew who the villain was, why he was doing anything, or what would happen. You never know what is going to be the thing that starts your brain going for a book, do you? True, true. <laughs> well, no, I'm thinking if I'm going to do something similar, I've got to make Mount Rainier explode somehow. But um... <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because actually with that eruption of Vesuvius, um, there's a really famous ancient account written by a guy called Pliny the Younger who watched the eruption from a villa that was far enough away that it didn't get destroyed. So he wrote a letter to one of his friends describing blow by blow the eruption, right? And modern volcanologists were kind of like, well, I mean, you know, come on, eyewitnesses, they're not very reliable. Nobody's ever seen an eruption that sounds like this, et cetera, et cetera. When Mount St. Helens erupted, it was exactly the way Pliny had described it in his letter. And now they, in fact, call those Pliny and eruptions. So, see, Rainier could work out for you. You could, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I was around with St. Helens. That was not pleasant either, I will say. But um, I would imagine not. I was in fifth grade in Ohio, and we got ashed that far away, like four days after it erupted. Yeah, I was like in, I think, I can't remember, third or fourth grade. And that was in Indiana. We couldn't see any ash in the air, but if you put a glass like jar out overnight. Right. It, yeah, that was the You're thing. You're like, like, how did it end up in my bathtub? You know, like, weird <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> yes. yes. Where, where I was, day became night. Oh, wow, that's terrifying. It, it was unbelievable. You could just see this dark cloud coming, and the next thing you know, it was just pitch <sighs> black. And then all of a sudden, everything was covered in ash. I mean, that but, is but absolutely anyway, terrifying. <laughs> it, yeah, it was not pleasant. I still remember it. Um, one of the things I was going to ask you, so you visited Vesuvius, and when people research novels and you visit places, usually it's contemporary. So right. I'm wondering about your research. You're there, but how did you research it for the past? To make yeah, it well, honestly, for this one, it was a little easier than it is if, say, I need to be thinking about London or Paris. I mean, London has changed so much, especially after the Second World War, right, with the Blitz. But with Pompeii, I mean, the city's destroyed, but the parts that are excavated, you know, the streets are still there. You can walk, you know, there are restaurants on corners, and you can see what the counters looked like. So it was much easier for this one to kind of imagine what it was like to be in the ancient city. But one of the things that I really loved with this is that if you read accounts of the excavations that were contemporary to Emily, so like the 19th century excavation reports, early 20th century, they thought they knew all these things, right? Oh, well, we know that the Romans did this, and we know that the houses looked like this. And that is very different from what archaeologists now say they know, having done more excavations. So there's a way in which I feel like you've got two versions of Pompeii in the book. 
in the ancient story, I'm trying to be as close to what the city would have been like before the eruption as we know in present time. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that stuff proves what Emily thinks is absolutely right wrong. So you've got this kind of weird twist where the older part of the story is actually more quote-unquote accurate than what Emily thinks Pompeii is like. Oh, but in order to be accurate for her time period, you had to do that. That's cool. Exactly, exactly. But that is always a challenge, and it's such a great question because, you know, if you go to a modern city, even if the building, you know, there would be buildings that are still standing or whatever, it's not the same as being there in, you know, 1850 or 1900. Right. Right, yeah. Now, when you look back, uh, of course, you know, like if, if you ever go back and reread book one, um, uh, the deceived, uh, the deceived one, only the deceived, um, or uh, yeah, no, and only to deceive. So I, when I'm you go back, you. so if you were to go back and read book one, and then you go back and then you read book fourteen, and you see Tasha Alexander's writing just getting that much better, what do you do, kind of between books? to kind of keep practicing, you know, like if you're a guitar player, a piano player, you're practicing and you're doing and you're creating and trying to write new music. What do you kind of do maybe between books to keep yourself sharp so when you do the next one, the writing's more stronger or the writing is just tighter and you're doing different things? Well, first of all, thank you, because you are very kind to say that they get better. I mean, that's what we all strive for. Um, And I think we all live in constant terror that we're not, and so we're always pushing ourselves. I mean, if someone asks me, I do say, make sure you read Death in the Floating City, because that's, I guess, if I I had to pick a kid, you know, (laughs) if I had to pick a kid, I I always say, you know, I I always say, you know, Death in the Floating City, or you want to do a Crimson Warning, I said, that's a good way to kind of really, I think, get Lady Emily's character. I'm not more, maybe not more about your writing, but just the series itself. Yeah. Well, honestly, I think the thing for me as a writer that, that helps me the most is reading. I mean, reading is how you learn how to write. And... I mean, I know that, you know, you can argue that, well, you can take classes and teach someone how to, how to write, but for me, I think it's, it's, I've always read constantly, widely, I'll read anything, um, and I've always noticed that if I'm struggling when I'm writing a book, and I take a step back and think, and I think okay, what is the problem here? I'm not reading. I have to read all the time. And when I'm not writing, I mean, of course, then you have lots more time to read, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now, but are I you reading that, it anybody specific? Anybody specific? Like anybody <sighs> specific that you're reading? I mean, do you read the same kind of people all the time, or do you try to say, you know what, today I'm or like, I want to read a book from an author I've never read before? Do you know, honestly, I am such a book slut. I just go to either <laughs> the library or a bookstore, and I'll just, nice I just, shout out. I start at like A, and I just, I just go down the stacks, okay. and I'll be like, ooh, that sounds cool, what is that? And I'll just, you know, I don't ever have, the only time I have a strategy would be if I'm in research mode, I mean, obviously then I've got to read a lot of nonfiction that's pertinent to whatever I'm writing, but I also like to read fiction just set in the place. Right. But other than that, I mean, I might, 
Do you know who I've been loving lately? It's funny because we were we were joking before before we we came on 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 the air oh, yeah, yeah. about sports, right? Right. <laughs> I just was born with. I have no sports gene. I actually was really good at sports in school, but I'm just not competitive. And I just was like, can we just okay. go home, please? But okay. Okay. Frederick Bachman, who's a Swedish writer, um, he's best known for the man called Ove. A man called Ove. There was a movie of it that I think won on Oscar a few years ago. Um, I came across a book of his called Brit Marie Was Here. And I should like nothing about this man's writing. He's always got a huge sports component to it. And in in Brit Marie, it's soccer. And then he's got some other ones. There's one called Bear Town and Them Against Us, I think is the sequel to that. That's why I got rugby in there. It's it's actually hockey. Okay. And I'm like... I should not like these books, but he is such a compelling writer. He just, and I don't know what it is, because I don't know, you know, why do we ever pick up what we pick up, right? For whatever reason, I'm browsing in a store, and I see Bert Marie is here, and I thought, something about this looks interesting. And he's just got this really dry Scandinavian wit, mm-hmm. and it really... His work really transports you to Sweden. Wow. And even though I don't have the sports gene, I, like, cared whether or not these kids were going to win this soccer tournament, you know? <laughs> the hockey one, you know. You're like, you're like, and the why, hockey. Why the I know. Not? I'm like, hockey. I'm, reading a, I'm choosing to read two books about hockey. But he's that good a writer. And so I always feel like it's a mistake to say, well, I don't like that kind of book, you know? True. You never know what is going to grab you. And sometimes, you know, you pick up the wrong book at the wrong time, and you yeah. don't like it. But I always feel like that's probably more about where I am in my head at that moment than, than any mm. comment about the book. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, you, you make me think of characters because I'm guessing you wanted them to win because you really cared about the people in the story. Yes. Yeah, so how, I'm curious, since you mentioned earlier how you write, how do you keep track of the character arcs in a 14-book and counting series? That is a challenge, especially because at the beginning, you don't know it's going to be a series. So <laughs> you think, and I can remember, I have, actually, it's sitting in my office right now, the notebook that I was using when I was writing that first book. And I can, every time I see that notebook, I can remember myself thinking, should I like write all these things down? Should I say, you know, keep track of whose eyes are what color or whose house is where? Right. But then I just thought, well, that's just hubris and asking for trouble. If I write that stuff down, I'll never get another contract. And boy, do I regret that now. But, but um, sometimes I've had to, when I was writing A Terrible Beauty, which is set in Greece and a lot of the plot goes back to things that happened at the beginning of the series, I actually had to go back and, like, read the first three books again, which is a very weird experience. But you no, have... That's happened. Yeah, that's happened. I've heard that before. Yeah. yeah, because, I mean, I think we all wish as we get, you know, once you get past a certain number of books, you think, why don't I have a Bible that keep, where I kept track of all of this? Right. Um, but... Like I said, I mean, for me, at least, I just felt like I was jinxing myself if I started doing that. But now, I mean, like when I, when I did that, when I was going back and, and, and reading them, uh, when I was working on Terrible Beauty, I did. I just I kept a notebook, and I've got all these little tiny details. 
but those details aren't quite the same as, as, as like you were asking about the character arc because I always feel like with a series you have two things. You have the narrative of the individual novel, the story of that book, but then you have this arc of, of the characters that populate that world. Yeah. And as a reader, it's the latter that I always find more interesting. Like, I want to know what happens to these people. I mean, I care very much about the mystery and the suspense and the, the story in that book. Mm-hmm. But the thing that makes me want to read the next one is wondering, I mean, I know, uh, you know, if it's a series I like, I know I'm going to like the story. Mm-hmm. But I really need to know what happened to those people going forward. Yeah, I completely agree with that, yeah. See, I think, and I'm the exact opposite. Really? <laughs> I am. He doesn't like I am. usually. I am. <laughs> kind of like, I always say, like, Law and Order. I love Law and Order and Murder, She Wrote, my two favorite movies yeah. in Colombo. My, my series, my, my three favorite TV shows of all time, because I can watch any season of yes, any episode. And I don't, and, and that's just, that 60 minutes at that time, and that's all I care about. I don't need to know about all the other stuff. You know, Andrew is completely like that. Yeah, we've talked about that yeah, before. Yeah, he's like, he's like, what about this like series arc? I don't want, I don't even want to think about that. Exactly. What is that? Go away. Exactly. <laughs> I look at, I look at TV shows now, and I'm like, like, and, and I started with heroes, and it's like, okay, so once you save the world, what you gonna do? Yeah, right. I'm out. Like right. I'm in blacklist. Okay, right. so once you find out who Reddington is, you got nothing okay. left. And that's a See real. Ya. I think that's a real dangerous series. We've actually been watching House, okay, which I had never seen. Oh, and that's great. That's a great first season. The rest sucks. Exactly. <laughs> that first season yep. is so good. But what yeah. happens as they keep going, and we're torturing ourselves because we feel like we have to complete it. You know? but, no, don't. Uh, really? <laughs> don't. <laughs> but they start getting into this. I'm like, I don't care about their personal lives. That's not what's interesting. What's interesting is House coming in and being really rude and and – Right. Rude, but he's not because he's actually really compassionate and it's all bluster and Do you the know who they created House off of? Do no. you know what character they tried to mimic? No. Do you do that? do you, Jeff? I thought it was Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. And but, then that's when and so when you see the show Elementary, yes. Johnny Lee Miller's character and House's character oh, I can is, totally is see kind that. of the same. Yeah. Right, but, but but in elementary they did it better because yeah. House they kind of made him go way too far, yeah. with the drug thing and then the yes. ex-wife and then the whole cop thing and the right oh, the bike about thing. The cop, and I'm like, thing. the cop yeah. thing. I'm like, is this still happening? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that's in season two. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. But see, that's the um, interesting thing because you've got really good characters, but somehow right. in that situation, going beyond. The plot of the individual story yeah. doesn't work. It doesn't And help. I knew House was going to be done the moment in season one that they brought in the guy who bought the hospital oh, and was starting yeah. to mess with I oh, said, God, I forgot this, about that, yes. I said, if they keep this kind of arc going, mm-hmm. I, go, this, I go, this show is done. Because then he no longer. Because what was the funniest part of the first of the first season? I thought in the first half is when he would be in the clinic making fun of people. Yes. And then they totally got rid of the clinic thing, and that was the best part was him having to go to the clinic and just making fun of people and saying, "No, you're not sick. No, you're doing this. No, just lose weight because your husband is doing this or something like that." Oh yeah, no. So, but but the thing is, he's he's mean, but he's insightful at the same time. Right. So we don't hate him completely. Right. 
Um, for the record, the blacklist is not what you think. They've uh, changed the arc up a bit, and it's uh, good again. Oh, okay. four seasons finally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, no, actually, it's seven, and uh, it's oh my god, it's even worse. Oh, oh my god, it's even worse. I'm loving it, but anyway. Um, yeah. So, but you know, what well, we always wonder, and I mean, I bet you guys are similar. Like we, when we, especially if we're binge watching TV, because to us it's all about the story. You know, yeah. we're thinking like, okay, why are they doing this? And our theory with House was that advertisers and probably studio people didn't like that you had this drug addict who is completely just rude mm-hmm. being popular. And we felt like they felt like they needed to dial it back and then have him go to rehab. And we're like, no, the whole reason no. we, you know? No, no. that's not. Yeah. The minute was, studios get involved, it goes downhill, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. And then writers yeah, change, um, though. Yeah, well, that's yeah. also, yeah, you always wonder what's true, happening true. with that, yeah. And I think yeah. you also have to wonder with things like that, too. The writers might not be happy about it either. True. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, so actually I have one more question to ask you, and then I have to go. Yeah. Um, um, my, I'm taking my daughter somewhere. So I was curious, is there a moment in history around the time frame you're writing about that you have not tackled yet that you want to? Oh, that's such a good question. I mean, honestly, Pompeii was really, that was a thing that I had always wanted to go to. Um, I don't know why we waited so long to do it, but it just felt like it was the right time because that was just, you know, it's one of those moments that, you know, we all know that Vesuvius erupted. And I am always, when I'm reading or or watching a movie or, or whatever, if you know the ending but you still can't stop reading it, that's my favorite thing. Oh, yeah. And, and so the yeah. fact that you know the volcano is coming, you know these people are all dead, but if you can still write a compelling story, even though right. like you all know that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's like Titanic. You know, if you can <laughs> still make that story interesting, mm-hmm. you, Although, you, you're, you're good. I will tell you, though, when I saw that movie in the movie theater, my ex-husband and I were, it was a heat wave. We were living in Vermont. We didn't have air conditioning, so we're in line for the movie theater, right? And the movie's been out for six months or something, right? Yeah, that thing never stopped. Right? And so we're standing there in the line. We're standing there in the line, and we're like, you know, the boat sinks. Ha, ha, ha. The people behind us were like, why did you just say that? Why would you ruin this? They genuinely did not know that the Titanic sank. That was the day on which I started to despair for the human race. But, you know. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Well, it's been a pleasure. Um, you guys have fun, and uh, thanks All right, again. And, uh, yeah, it's so great to, to talk to you. Yeah, All right, later, Jeff. See ya. Yeah, but, I, I mean, yeah, I, the, I, I just don't understand. Yeah. I mean, I'm shaking my head, and I'm just like, how do you not know about the Titanic? I know. I mean, at first we thought they were joking, but then we were like, oh, they're really not. Now, how old were they? I mean, they, they um, had to have been They were younger. probably, like, old teenagers, like 16, 17, kind of age. And they had no idea that the Titanic sank. Yeah, apparently not. I ruined that for them. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's what I'm here for, to ruin that's it for you. That's what you're here for. You're ruining, you're, you're ruining movies. Yeah, well, everybody needs a hobby. Come on. That's true. That's true. Yeah. 
So what else are you, I mean, uh, so are you watching anything else, or, I mean, besides House? Well, so House is, because, you know, we... Shannon we've, and I are, we're watching all the top chefs, again. Oh, that's fun. Right, you know because what you show know... I, I love Beat Bobby Flay. Oh, my God, we love Beat Bobby Flay. But you can't beat him. So it's like the suspense is not really there because he wins eight out of ten times. He does. And I love it when those guys are like, yeah, I'm taking you down, Bobby. Yeah. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're like, no, you're, you're not. Although, you know, I was watching because, you know, every once in a while they'll have like a day on Food Network where they show Beat Bobby Flay for like 74 hours or something. Um, and I, right. sat, I was sitting there one day and I was like, okay, I'm just having a lazy TV day. And I saw in one day three episodes where Bobby lost. Oh, they put that on there on purpose just to give. Well, the, they did. The, yeah, but but I think okay. it's a credit to him because you know he he sets it up in a way that the 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 challenger does have the edge, and he's gracious about it. You know, true. I, I mean, I think a lot of people at his level of success would not have well, let's say, would have egos that would not allow them to do that. Probably not. Yeah, but it's a, it's a good show. Oh yeah, I mean I love all those. I mean we really I've, I've told people I go I watch live sports. We watch the Food Network. Um, I love the show Ridiculousness, and um, on MTV that video show. Okay. I, I mean, and that's about all I watch on regular TV. Everything else is Hulu, sure. Prime, Netflix, now Disney Plus. I mean, there's just because there's so much. There's too much. Well, and you I know, can't, I can't. No, it's too, it's too much. We were just talking, much. Shane, I was just talking off the air. Um, you know, our granddaughter went to gymnastics, and the teacher said, oh, go, you know, go grab a stamp. Well, there's a whole box of them. And she, her mind blows up like that. I, I can't, she can't make a selection. But right. if you say take one of the three, no problem. Yes. This, it's decision fatigue. Yeah. Which, you know, it's, what's been interesting for us since we moved to Wyoming, we have satellite Internet. Now, it's fast, okay. but it's metered. Is that the Hughes.net? Um, we have, who, I don't even know who our provider is. Um, so what do you mean? It's, it's not Hughes. So they, well, so okay. what it means is that we get a certain amount, and when we use that up, then we get throttled down to a crazy slow speed. And wow. if we streamed one movie, that would basically be it for the month. If you streamed, like, one movie off of yeah. iTunes? So we can't stream anything. But, you know, the thing that's... Because when we lived in Chicago, we just streamed things constantly. Sure. And, and especially, like, I'd be doing book research. When I was researching Death in St. Petersburg, I was just on this kick with I needed everything Russian. And even though it was after the time period of the book, I started watching all these Soviet movies from yeah. Moss film, you know. And you can just get everything instantly when you want it. And, right. and now that we can't, we read so much more. Because... If That's you have good. to actually say, okay, I want to watch this enough that I will buy the DVD, and then you have to go find that where you can buy the DVD, right. wait for the DVD. DVD, it really, because it, at first we were like, oh, my God, how are we ever going to get used to this? But now yeah. I think it's been really good because it's, okay. I, I'm, I'm just, it's too easy for me to just sort of mindlessly, like, did I really need Hop to stream? Hop on YouTube or cat videos. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You can do anything, right? Right. <laughs> and you, know. you just go once down you, the rabbit hole. Once you jump hole. in that YouTube rabbit hole, you're, you ain't getting out. No, you're not. And I used no. to go down that a lot. So no. <laughs> now I can't. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, once you break that habit, you're kind of like, I don't miss that. You know? True. 
True. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's, I mean, so you like Wyoming. Uh, it's amazing. You know yeah. what? It's a place. But, but, so what part of Chicago, like what part of Chicago do you miss? I mean, do you miss having like just the Internet and everything there and any kind of stuff you wanted? Is that, is that a big you change? Know, honestly, I miss people, but I do not miss the place at all. And Chicago's a great city, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I mean, that is a wonderful city. You know, I spent more than a decade there. I loved every minute of it. You know, we mm-hmm. lived right in the middle of Lincoln Park. We could walk to everything. We took full right. advantage of all the cultural stuff. Loved it. But we were just ready for it. We were ready for a change. And this was the right change. Right. You know, now we just go skiing all the time. So, <laughs> Or hiking. You know, we can just do... All sorts of just wonderful outdoors things right yeah. outside the house. And it's Shane and I have talked about driving like up through Salt Lake City and into Wyoming because she's never been that way. Oh, you've I've got been to through come, Utah. You need to come visit us. Yeah, I know. I've been through Utah, but I've never been to Wyoming. That's one state I haven't. Uh, Wyoming, Wyoming, Idaho, and Montana are the only three states I've not been in. in oh, my goodness. No, yeah. so, see, you need to come. Cause I you know, can... especially before we go to Cambodia. Yeah, it's so beautiful. What's, and I think... what's the weather like in the summer? Is it hot, humid? Oh, no, we don't ever have humidity. <clears throat> oh, okay. So yeah. it's more desert climate? It's arid, yeah. So we're okay. high altitude. Like our house is at like 86, Kind of like high desert California. Yeah, a bit yeah. like that, yeah. Okay. And so you've got mountains and you've got... Just gorgeous wildflowers, and there's you get a lot more rain than than in a regular arid desert, right? We do not get very much rain at all. Oh, okay. Here's so the you're thing. Like California. You know, I mean, so we're about you know, clean. you know, Andrew. I mean, he, as he always says, he grew up on a small rainy island. If he never sees a drop of rain again in his life, it will be he's too good. soon. You know? He probably freaks out in the shower. <laughs> well, he's at the point now where he's like. It really isn't going to rain, is it? I mean, we'll we'll yeah. go months without really. We get in the in the summer, we'll get that kind of classic mountain thunderstorm in the afternoon. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Where you can literally watch it come across the prairie. You can see it coming. It'll be brilliant. And you're like, this sky. is a Longmire episode. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> and then it comes, and 37 drops of rainfall, and it blows away, and it's blue skies and sunny. And within half an hour, there is no sign of that rain ever having occurred. Wow, and it doesn't get humid. No. See, that's no, great. and if see, we that's, have so that's like it, us. See, it's basically like California. It's like LA weather. Yeah. Well, except in uh, the winter. But well, know. how cold are you now? Well, actually, we're having a real cold snap right now, so it's about four below. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're getting down to thirty-six, and that's cold oh, what, for that's, LA. That's you know what? That's crazy. Because yeah. honestly, four we're, below our here. Our high today have... was fifty-five. Wow. I know. Okay, well, we yeah. got up to about two, but... <laughs> hey, okay. Well, we, well, we Minnesota should. Winters. You're not, we should. You shouldn't. Yeah. Well, we, we did four Minnesota winters, and we, there's always, like, two-week period in January or February where the high never gets above zero. Yeah. And that was just brutal. That's that was, brutal. Th- those were four years of brutal. Yeah, and that's that damp cold, too. See, we don't have the damp cold. Yeah. And it's sunny here all the time. So... Oh, I, went okay. out, yeah, I actually went outside this morning just because I wanted to take pictures because we'd had a big snowstorm yesterday. And it was oh, just, yeah. That's pretty I got up. It's nice beautiful. W- w- white blanket. Yeah, and you get that blue sky. Yeah. And even though it's cold, you don't feel it in your bones. You know, it's not That's that good. kind of cold. That's good. Yeah. 
And yeah. plus, I love snow, so I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> no more. You know, that's one thing I always tell people. I'm like, white Christmases are overrated. I'm sorry. I lived through enough of them in the Midwest and in Minnesota when I'm, like, driven in the blizzards and snowstorms, going from yeah. Minneapolis to Columbus. And we had one – it took us – we we're going from Minneapolis to Columbus, which is normally an 11-hour drive, and it only takes like five hours to get to Madison, Wisconsin. Right. And it took us nine. Oh, I can believe it. And we it. were like, we're stopping for the night. We're done. We ain't going anywhere else. So we stopped well, and then left the next day. Well, you can have a very different relationship with snow if you work from home. Well, that's true, too. You can see the little woodpecker out there or whatever tipping in a little raccoon. and Yeah, and it's like, oh, look at all the little creatures. It looks like Snow White, but it's cold as hell out there. Yeah, but it's just not as bad. And it's funny because... You know what I don't miss? I don't miss the crunch. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I do not miss is the crunch. That's all you heard in Minnesota was crunch, 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 crunch. Well, we, our snow, I mean, and it's it's, to me disappointing, but... um, you know, I want winter to start on October 20th, and I, won't want to, I don't want to see the ground until the end of May. That's never wow. going to happen here. I Why don't you snow. live in the north of Finland? Well, because they don't even have that much snow anymore. But, no. but, but we get, you know, the, the weather here, it's much warmer than you would think it is most of the time. So, and the other thing is because it's dry and because you have the sun and the altitude, you know, mm-hmm. if it's... 50 degrees and sunny at 8,600 feet, you're pretty warm if you're in the sun. Like, you don't want to cope. Being, I love being up that high, though. I, I do, too. I love being up the high altitude. That, yeah. is, that is good. I like doing that. Well, let's finish real fast here. So, TashaAlexander.com is the website for everyone, of course, to find out everything about you. And what events are you going to be at this year? So, I'm actually getting ready to go to Florida. I'm going to be on Sanibel Island, their library. Um, oh, cool. That is in a couple weeks. I'm going to be there, okay. and, and actually I'm going to back to Florida. I guess this is my year of Florida. I'm going to okay. be in Fort Lauderdale for the Broward County Library Author Feast, Literary nice. Feast, so that will be very fun. Other and than that, any, I'm tr- Anything else later in the year, Thriller Fest or Left Coast Crime? Or? You know, I'm, I'm in a wait-and-see mode on that. It's okay. been a it's been a weird couple of years. You know, I lost mm-hmm. my dad and Ooh, yeah, I lost my dad last November. Okay, well, my last January. So yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. It sucks. And it just yeah, sort of it kind of threw me off my game a bit, and so I'm kind of trying to just get back be and home. focus and be balanced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I understand. I understand that completely. I mean, you know, my mom right now is full stage dementia, so she's oh, no longer gosh. there anymore either. That's so hard. Yeah. So I mean. It's just, well, I always kind of laugh because they were divorced when I was four, and I always like, oh my God, how would mom with dementia been able to take care of dad with Alzheimer's? And oh. I was like, how would that, that would have worked out too well. That would not have been a good scenario. <laughs> no, that would not have been good. So yeah, it's always kind of funny, but um, yeah, it's just I understand that completely and uh, yeah. what you probably were going through. Yeah. yeah, and it's sometimes nice to sort of take a step back and say, you know, I don't have to be running around all the time. Yeah. Oh, no, you don't. And the thing is, is like, you know, when your books come out, because they're coming, you know, they always come out like, um, you know, like, uh, well, you're like October, right? This book yeah, came, see, when did this book come out? Well, this book was January, and it was because yeah. I was... normally October. Yeah, I'm normally October, but my dad got sick. 
Oh, and she pushed it back a couple months. And so, yeah, so my editor, bless him, said, do not try to revise this. I had already delivered the manuscript, but he said, do not try to be revising this yeah. manuscript right now. Okay. So he's like, take your time, and we'll just push the, push the date. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, normally, and your books kind of come out after season of, like, the conventions are kind of over, yes. I guess. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, too bad you're not going to Left Coast Crime because we're going to be there um, in March. That's well, in San I, Diego. I, I think we need to just get you guys to Wyoming. I know, we do. I have to tell Shannon and be like... Because you know what? If you drove out here, then you'd get Utah, right? And you'd get Wyoming, and then we, we yeah. could, you could come here, we could hang out, we'll, go, we'll do a road trip up to Yellowstone, and I can get you to Montana. <laughs> oh, man. See? Then you'd See? be done. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Now we're in. I, okay. I, 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 I think you, it needs and, to happen. And probably August or September is probably a good time to do that. Beautiful time. Yeah. So when do you guys start seeing a leaf change, like um, beginning of October? Um, it really depends. Like this year, usually it's beginning of October. This yeah. this past fall, it was maybe a, a week couple later. weeks later. Yeah. Yeah. Third week. Yeah. I mean, things are you know things are sliding over a little bit. I mean, they yeah. are. They yeah. are. I mean, so, all right. Hey, that sounds great, but Tasha, of course. The book, again, is called In the Shadow of Vesuvius. It is Lady Emily's 14th mystery series. Um, so thank you again so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to talk to you, John. Thanks so much for having me. All right. You have a good one. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.